Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, I'm Zach. Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. Okay, welcome back. Uh, This is uh, the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. Uh, Thanks to everyone for listening. Um, Just a quick reminder, before we get started, if you want to interact with us, definitely visit our Facebook page, the Achieving Christian Thought Podcast uh, on Facebook, or visit our website, theactpod.com. And as always, I'm joined by Zach and Robert uh, yet again. Hello, hello, hello. And uh, I think what we're going to do tonight is we're going to shift back and we're going to talk some more about uh, some of the miracles of Jesus, some of the acts he performed uh, while he was uh, still alive um, on the earth. And uh, so, yeah, so welcome, <clears throat> Zach and Robert. Uh, you guys can take it away. Oh, all right. OK, so um, as Brian just said, we're just go- taking another episode to dive into the miracles of Jesus, take a little time to just coast through this idea that you know someone came to earth and did things that no one could explain and we take it for granted i was joking with a friend in a restaurant one time he's a believer and we were talking and i said it's kind of funny how you can sit in your car and if you listen to a lot of christian radio uh, i know not everyone out there listening right now to this would do that but if you listen to enough christian radio it's easy to hear a song by let's say a singer like chris tomlin and uh, first lines of one of his song, he's talking about the miracles of Jesus, like water you turned into wine, you you opened the eyes of the blind. And I said, it's easy how that, just like some sermons in churches, can become cliche background noise. You think how much you love the song without thinking too much about the lyrics. Uh, literally, as you started like quoting that, I started like playing the song in my head. I was like, oh, our God is greater. <laughs> copyright ever. <laughs> but uh, my point proven completely. I mean, and we sit there and we sway and back and forth. We go, oh, I love this song. Oh, I love this singer. Oh, I love this. And with that kind of voice. With that kind of voice, because there's something about love of a song that will, like, stretch your esophagus and make you high-pitched. But, but uh, <laughs> science. <laughs> but uh, where, I'm, where I'm going with this is yes. we, can, <laughs> we can listen to these things. And they become such cliches, such background noise, that we can talk about the virgin birth. We can talk about... Um, the raising of the dead, which I'm going to touch on here in just a minute. We can talk about healing the lame and giving sight to the blind, and we will think more about Tiny Tim's lines from A Christmas Carol than we do about allowing that reality to hit us, that there was a man who walked the streets and people witnessed him doing things that uh, you know a doctor could only dream of. And so just the fact that his enemies didn't have anything else to go on. They they couldn't claim that he was nothing. They they could see what he was doing. Um, I mentioned it in the previous episode, not to go back down a rabbit hole after we li- already listened to plenty of this in the last episode, but uh, I mentioned the man who was lame from birth, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus' response to these people who criticized him, they said, "How? who do you think you are to forgive sins? You're blaspheming. And Jesus literally said, it's easy for me to say anything. I could say I'm Pinocchio. I could say I'm Superman. I can say whatever I want to. But unless I do something to prove it, that's much harder. And he said, it would be easy for me to claim his sins are forgiven, but let me prove it. Walk. And the man gets up and he just walks away. And the people actually turn against him after what they saw. And just uh, the fact that he performed things that people had no choice but to try to confront, you know, who do people say I am? Well, there's a common conception among mainstream culture scholarship now that Jesus was just a great moral teacher. He had phenomenal teachings. He has shaped 
the morality of Western civilization and even the most devout, I won't even say atheist, I'll say anti-Christian, someone who despises the faith, even the most devout anti-Christian would actually agree to every last one of these things. If they're historically honest, they'll say that many of the most compassionate ideas of Western civilization, what we would call charity, the love of of God, love from the divine, giving to someone who can't give back in return. It all does come back to Jesus and his movement. But, but it's, uh, we have so much more than just the teachings to carry with. Um, I read one apologist, he'd spent his life studying religions, and he actually said that one of the things that separates Jesus from any other religious leader is everyone throughout history who claimed to be a holy person said, I know God's will, follow my teachings, follow what I say. Now, Jesus had aspects of that, obviously. He said, love your neighbor as yourself, follow this teaching, obviously. I can't argue that he didn't, but Jesus added a whole other flair to it when he said, you must follow me, you must accept me. Instead of saying, I have the message of God, he was basically saying, I am the way to God. And so if you don't have him personally, Jesus himself claimed that you can't go there. And these miracles actually point to the uniqueness of his, not just his claim, but just the fact that he was able to back up everything that was said. Mm-hmm. But uh, jumping into that, the, some of the miracles of Jesus, just just ta- stopping to think about some of the things that got towns talking for years and years and years. I'm sure there were people on their deathbeds who had seen Jesus do things in their childhoods, and decades later they couldn't shut up about those things. But... Uh, the miracle I'm going to touch on is one of the most famous in all of Scripture. Uh, chances are most of the people who are hearing this, out there listening, you've probably already heard this, possibly several times over. But the, it's one thing to give sight to a blind person. It's one thing to help someone walk. It's one thing to heal a wound or to heal even something that was internal. Um, Jesus touched lepers, and they watched the leprosy leave their skin now, when you start walking into funeral homes and just giving the dead permission to get up and walk, that's that's, that's even a game a, changer right there. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> if you're thinking, where's the game changer? It's right there. Oh yeah. I mean, just get everything I've already mentioned. You know, is is extreme enough, but that's a whole different stratosphere, even among the miraculous. That's, I mean, that's George A. Romero stuff, you know, Nigh the Living Dead, and that's just a director with a camera and makeup. And by the way, uh, who he's talking about wasn't a zombie. Just emphasize that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I will definitely get into that clarification. (laughs) But um, my my point with that is that's stuff that we think belongs in the fantasy of cinema, something that belongs around the campfire, things that we know, quote-unquote, we just know can't happen. And yet there were a couple of rare times where Jesus did just this. There was a time he uh, walked into uh, a family that was mourning over the death of a little girl. And what's fascinating is both this time and the time I'm about to talk about, Jesus uses the word sleep for death. Now, by the time the early church came around, it probably reflected Jesus' teachings on this. But by the time the early church came around, sleep became a common little metaphor, innuendo, whatever you like to call it, for death among the Christians. And the idea being that, you know, just because they are laying down with their eyes closed, they're going to wake up. And it wasn't ignorance, it was just a a choice of words that signified hope that they will get up again. And Jesus got made, you know, rewind the clock to this day where Jesus raises the little girl. He actually tells the family, you know, don't mourn as loudly and as hard as you do. Be comforted. This little girl isn't dead. She is sleeping. And the people laugh in his face because, I mean, they obviously think he hasn't even walked over and checked. They think he would be a terrible doctor if he was. It's okay. She's just asleep. They literally thought that he had been mistaken about her case, and he was intentionally trying to give them a hint at the way he saw this. From his perspective, she was only down for a little while. But the message he was trying to send to the family and to us through the text is that through him, death is temporary. Through him, life is going to come again. But it's not his teachings in and of themselves. You don't have to follow the teachings of Christ in and of themselves. You're not adopting his teachings as a philosophy. You're adopting him. 
you're drinking his blood, eating his flesh. That's a whole other topic for another episode. But what he was getting at is you've got to have faith in me as a living person, as a personality. You've got to reach for a relationship. And to prove that, I'm going to grant life to this dead body. And he touches the, the little girl's hand, and all he has to do is speak. And that reflects Genesis. In Genesis 1, Yahweh speaks, and the universe itself obeys. Jesus speaks and says, little girl, get up. And she just obeys. She opens her eyes and stands up and walks uh, walks through the room as if nothing had happened. And the entire family just started to freak out. Now, this is a small sample. Fast forward to the day that I was actually wanting to focus on. One of the most famous uh, passages in all the scriptures. One of the most famous stories in all the gospels. Um, I've actually read this story aloud at a, a funeral uh, celebration of life before. Trying to get across the point, you know, that the gospel, thanks to the gospel, death is not the end. But basically what what it boils down to is the story of um, a family in a city called Bethany. Now, this was a very tiny city on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And so you've got Mary and Martha. They're famous in their own right for different reasons. They're sisters. And they're mentioned multiple times. But just this once, it's also mentioned that they have a brother named Lazarus. And it says that Jesus had a very great relationship with all three of them. He was very close with that family. Uh, Lazarus, being a man, got very, very close with Jesus. They were the best of friends. And one day during Jesus' ministry, Lazarus gets horribly sick. We have no way of knowing what he had. Uh, We don't even know his symptoms. We just know that they saw him and knew that death was on its way. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent urgent word to Jesus through a messenger And they just say, come quickly, Lord, the one you love is sick. And so they were banking on the fact that Jesus was so close to this man, that Jesus loved him so dearly, almost as a brother, that they thought surely Jesus could come and heal him. If anybody can, it's this man who is causing all these different diseases, infirmities to to flee from people's bodies. He can do that for Lazarus, too. And Jesus shockingly does nothing when he hears the news. He just sits around and waits. And the apostles start to wonder about this. They're asking, you know, why is Jesus doing that? Why is he waiting? Why isn't he going straight to Lazarus right now? And Jesus is basically saying, no, we won't go right now. The time is not right. And it said he waited for four whole days until finally after the fourth day, he said, okay, it's time to go. Lazarus is now asleep. Now, in in hindsight, we know that he was saying that Lazarus was dead, but the apostles in the moment didn't understand him at all. That little innuendo hadn't been uh, hadn't been picked up among them yet, and so they thought he was literally saying he's taking a nap. Let's go say hey to him. And their response is, "Oh, that's great. If he's asleep, he can actually get a little rest and heal up." And Jesus is like, "No, no, no. He, he's literally dead, guys. He, he's gone. <laughs> Let's go see him." Uh, they're even more dumbfounded than 30 seconds ago when he said we had to go watch him sleep. They ask, well, why would he wait till he's dead and then go do it? What's the point? And so they go, and of course it was actually dangerous for Jesus to make this journey. There were people in and around Jerusalem at this point that wanted him dead, and the apostles knew it. Yeah, I think there's even a reference, not to interrupt you, but I think there's even a reference from Thomas that says, well, if we go, we're going to die. Well, let's go. <laughs> yeah, we might as well go die with him. Yeah. And we don't know if he was sarcastic or brave or both or all or somewhere in between. But uh, at least Thomas was the realist. He, was, he said, well, <laughs> if we're going to go croak just like this Lazarus, let's all go. Let's all just take our turns like at a water slide. Let's everyone go down one by one. But uh, they go out to see him, and the – the slightly backhanded comments from the sisters. Um, I can't presume to know exactly what's on their mind, but probably the the very thing that would be on anybody's mind. And they straight up tell him they go and they they go approach him uh, at different times. Uh, Martha approaches him first, and he, she says, "Lord, you know, if only you had come sooner, my brother would have lived. I mean, if you waited four days, he had his time. He." had his health slowly fail, and he passed away while you did nothing. And Jesus basically just says, don't worry, the the resurrection is coming. Uh, you will see your brother again. And, of course, Martha, 
she takes this as just another theological lecture like we do at church. We go and we learn about, you know, this great king who raised the dead from who raised the dead from the graves while our own modern worlds are falling apart and sometimes it just doesn't hit home. And Martha actually had the same experience right there standing right in front of him looking him in the eyes thinking that this was just another rabbi preaching Jewish theology. And she said, yeah, Lord, I know. At the end of time, I know we will all be resurrected and we'll see each other again. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not talking eschatology right now. I'm not talking about the end of all things. No, I'm talking about today. You are going to see Lazarus back today on terra firma, alive and well. And he basically sums it up by saying, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. And that's a lot more personal than just saying, you know, someday Yahweh will bring the resurrection and the life. It has been taught to you since you were a Jewish child in the synagogues. Now he says, I myself am these things. I'm the bringer of this reality. I am the beginning and the end of all of these hopes that you've always had. Do you believe this? And it knocks on Martha and Mary's hearts. It should knock on ours today. Do you believe this? Those that uh, live and believe in him will never die. Those who die while believing in him will live again. Do you believe this? And it's a challenge to me through the scripture. It's a challenge to each and every one of you out there listening. Are we willing to believe that this man's claims are more than just insane fodder? And again, he's about to prove that it's so much more than that. And even then, Martha and Mary, they both basically say, we know that whatever you say, Lord, it will be done. We've seen what you can do. We've lived with you. We know who you are. So Jesus says, if you believe this, take action. If you really believe it, don't just nod, clap, and amen me. Take action. Move the stone away from the grave. And now, I'm sure most of you have seen imagery, especially from Easter plays or Easter films, um, maybe postcards at Easter of the stone at the tomb. And so you might uh, already have an image in your head, but during these times, uh, rather than burying people in the ground all the time, uh, some of the wealthiest burials would be done within the mouths of caves. They'd be specially honed out and cleaned. Uh, shelves would actually be cut into the rock so that the bodies of the deceased could be wrapped and laid on those benches. And what they would do is they would take these colossal round stones and basically roll them into place over the mouth of the door to keep the stench out, keep animals out. What, that way there's a barrier between the living and the dead. And so for Jesus to say, take the stone and move it, it's the modern version of basically saying, uh, take this you know, uncle that you, that you lost yesterday and dig him back up, Stephen King style. Just go and dig him up, pull, pull him out of the ground. Open the casket. Open the casket and... Mary, Martha's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. And she basically says, he's literally been dead for four days, Jesus. He, the decomposition has started. He will stink. He stinks. I mean, if you have a King James Bible or access to one on the internet, that verse literally says, he stinketh. <laughs> and <laughs> that's not even a joke. That is black and white. He stinketh. And Jesus says, no, no, trust me. Don't worry. I, I, I can overcome decomposition. And so Martha obeys, and Jesus, first he prays out loud. He says, Father, he essentially says, Father, I'm praying out loud so everyone who hears me will know that you and you alone did what I'm about to do. And that way they know my thoughts before I say, before I say this to prepare them for what they're about to see. And then he just calls Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man literally walks out of the tomb with the wrap still around his body. And I could only imagine the panic, the shrieking that must have happened. I'm sure this, there's no doubt in my mind this would have went viral if we live, if this happened today, it would have been all over the internet. People would have speculated for years if, how, how did they fake this? How did they do this? How, is there any tampering with the footage? And yet Jesus simply says, okay, now walk over there and take the, help the man out of his, out of his, Raps. He's he's basically saying, "Why are you guys screaming and running in circles? Help the man! He's about to trip and fall." <laughs> and it doesn't say anything else about how Lazarus lived the rest of his life, but every hint says that Lazarus most likely was healed of his affliction and probably lived a full life. Now, the difference between Lazarus and Jesus, of course, is Lazarus 
uh, to get a little technical, uh, Jesus was a resurrection. He he rose one more time to never die again. Lazarus was merely a resuscitation. He wasn't glorified the way that all believers someday will be. Instead, he was simply raised in his present form. And his present form still aged. His present form still had malfunctions. His present form still finally came to an end. But his life was extended far, much farther than it would have been if he'd been allowed to just stay and rot in the tomb. And so some of the things that uh, we have to dig into this, uh, first of all, a note on why Jesus waited so long. Now, obviously, now this goes without saying, perhaps, but the obvious direct reason that Jesus waited was so that Lazarus had plenty of time to pass away. Because it's one thing to go and heal a man who's sick, and we've already said it, but it's a whole different ball game, a whole different strata. You've reached a whole new plane when you can wait until he is gone and then summon him back out of the depths of hell or the underworld or Hades or however you envision the afterlife. Just the fact that someone was able to pull a soul back out and put it back in the body, that goes above and beyond any parlor trick Jesus could have copped up by playing the doctor on a sick person. Now, also, why four days? Even that was very specific. If you already know, you know. But if you don't, let me let you know But that uh, the Jews actually had a tradition and it's probably not true. It's not in Scripture. But still, he had to accommodate things the way they thought in order to help them interpret things a certain way. But the Jews had a tradition that a dead person's soul would hover above their body for three days. And after the fourth, then that soul would finally leave and go off into Sheol. And once those four days were passed, that's when death was considered complete by the rabbis. They taught that death was irreversible beyond that point without the direct intervention of God himself. And so Jesus intentionally waits for that four-day period to end. In their minds, everyone at that funeral is thinking that Lazarus is in Sheol at this point. He's moved on. There's nothing left to do. Only God himself, hint, could do anything to save this man. He stinketh. He stinketh. And Jesus walks in and changes everything. Now, I imagine Lazarus probably had a whole different take on life. He was probably a believer before, but now, uh, oh, God, you probably could not get on his nerves. You probably couldn't scare him. You probably could not worry him. He had gotten a taste of what was really important, and this life was just a vacation compared to what was coming. And so, uh, sadly, there were people who criticized Jesus for it. Uh, astonishingly enough, we've covered this before. Everything he does, he will get criticized. Their desire to kill him ramps up. And it, even one of the Gospels mentions that they actually wanted to conspire and try to kill Lazarus, too, to try to get uh, rid of that story that Jesus had risen him from the dead. Their solution was to hurry up and re-kill him to make sure that this story didn't spread. And and not to beat a dead horse, but that just absolutely blows my mind that they would see this and walk away with that yeah, takeaway. Yeah. Well, here's a dude that's literally raised from the dead. Kill him! Kill yeah, him! Yeah, because that makes sense. I oh, mean, yeah. and Like, he could he could be like, just, just tell us about, you know, the afterlife. You know, how many people would love to hear, you know, about the afterlife that haven't read the scriptures or whatever, you know, to know the promises. And here the people are like, no, 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 we don't care, just kill him, because he's talking about Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the reason Jesus did it was to give hope to those standing around. Like, this is your great hope. This is where your life is headed. It's headed straight into my arms, either as a judge or as a friend. What are you going to do? And the people, well, not all the people, but the Pharisees and Sadducees' reaction of, kill him, kill Lazarus, kill his story, kill him. I mean... But that just really speaks to, like, obviously, you know, we wouldn't react any better today. I mm-hmm. mean, we have the benefit of hindsight, like looking back and, and right, judging right. them with what we know now. But that really shows where their priorities lied. If they they weren't interested in what was true, mm-hmm. it was more of they were just trying to protect their power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pure and simple. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't about the law. It wasn't about God. It wasn't about believing or faith mm-hmm. it was strictly this is a threat to our power and mm-hmm. our control yeah oh yeah and to the small little sliver of the roman empire that we've managed to carve out and have a little bit of authority on mm-hmm. yeah we're gonna we're gonna 
have that instead of God. <laughs> yeah. And uh, thank you for getting to that, getting to that, Brian, because the takeaway from this whole thing on one side, uh, the obvious one, and I, I don't want to make it so obvious that we skip it because we can't afford to, is obvious comfort. Mm-hmm. This man is the path to life. His teachings won't get you there. Admiring him the way you admire a superhero won't get him there. Being one of his fans won't get you there. Simply having a relationship with him will. That's it. Saving faith in him that leads to obedience, but the faith itself will get you there. Mm -hmm. This man himself, the personality, the living being we know as Jesus is the epicenter of all Christianity and the great hope of a resurrected life that God has come. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He he isn't just the one to resurrect himself. He's come to do it for everybody who's willing to put their faith in him. But on the other side of that coin, there's the comfort side. On the other side of the coin is a cautionary tale, talking about what Brian just talked about, the fact that they were more interested in holding on to their own power than making sure they jumped on this bandwagon when they got it. They had one life, one chance to find the truth of the universe the ultimate reality the ultimate point of everything and they watched it drive away because they wanted to hold on and yet how many churches do we see do the same thing today Mm -hmm. i mean they will i mean they twisted and abused the name of moses in jesus day like no other today they twist and abuse the name of jesus like no other whatever has that like what brian said that benefit of hindsight whatever has that and will justify what you're thinking, what you're doing. You will use it and you will brand it like an icon. And they held on to Moses as an icon, even though Moses himself would never approve of what they were doing. Mm. We do the same thing with Jesus. And what we're really interested in doing, we're interested in raising funds for our ministries in the name of Jesus. We're more interested in preserving our church buildings and all of their history in the name of Jesus. We're more concerned about preserving a certain bubble, a certain... A click group within a church and certain shredding culture. a certain culture and allowing a church to shred to bits in the name of Christ. And we use and abuse that in order to literally in order to have but basically a country club, just a group Amen. of people feeding themselves <laughs> and do it in the name of religion, most likely because you grew up with religion. That's what you're most comfortable with. And that's the culture you're a part of. And you want to preserve that. We see the same, talking about the human heart being the same it is everywhere. We see that in sports events. We see that at county fairs. We see that at uh, school clubs. I mean, whatever feeds into your sense of identity, whatever feeds into your sense of security, your sense of belonging, if that happens to be the church, if you grew up in the church and you can spout the story of the raising of Lazarus uh, without even preparing for it, if you know the story from top to bottom, if you can quote Jesus from top to bottom, but you don't know him, or if you know him and your heart isn't in the right place, it is so, so easy to go down the same exact road as all those other places, but you tack Jesus' name to the front of this through wrecking his own reputation. Mm. And Lazarus didn't die twice so that you could keep abusing the name of the man who saved him. Man. Okay, Robert, preach it, brother. Come on now. (laughs) Bring it. Bring Bring it. it. Bring it. (laughs) Ah, and that's my miracle for today. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I would, I would love to add to that is the fact, I mean, going back to his idea of comfort, um, we it's, it's great because um, our uh, pastor, one of our pastors, I guess he was a technically a, a, a guest speaker at our church, talked about um, this very passage over the weekend. Um, and uh, What? Yeah, yeah. That's that's one of the reasons why I, I stepped away from talking about it. Let you have it, but the, uh, um, he the the fact that um, there's a there's a phrase in the scripture it talks about Jesus wept, um, and the the thing that catches my mind, and this is something that the speaker spoke of yesterday, is the fact that he didn't weep because he didn't know what to do. He knew exactly what he was going to do, but he wept. Because he saw Mary and Martha's heartache. This is the maker of all things. This is the creator. This is Jesus weeping at their pain. I mean, you know, 
we we talk it's you know there's some people out there who holds the view that God is so far removed he he just doesn't care you know he he made things up a long time ago like a like the watchmaker idea and then he just has nothing to do with his creation anymore but here here is an example of the creator stepping into our world and not just stepping into our world but stepping into our pain our grief and weeping not because he doesn't have the power because he knew exactly what he was going to do he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead but he still wept at our pain at our suffering at our uh, technically Mary and Martha's pain and suffering he wept and yet then he rose uh Lazarus from the grave and so I mean it is just it is a, a picture of the fact that even though you might be going through something very challenging, very hard, God cares. He's not a he's not a watchmaker out there who's you know set things up and stepped aside and doesn't care. He is here. He he loves us, and he stepped into our world and and took a a a a, a, a penalty that we deserved, and he carried that to the grave and rose from the dead um so yeah again i mean <laughs> it gets me fired up <laughs> robert over there preaching <laughs> uh but now moving on to to my uh my miracle um so this is kind of um some things that happened uh in the time of jesus uh basically he travels a lot into you know Jerusalem, uh, Judea, goes through Samaria, goes through a bunch of different places in the area, um, and he's teaching and he's preaching, he's doing miracles, casting out demons, and there's one place that he goes to, and uh, Robert might have to help me out with the pronunciation because he said it before and I say it differently, so he's probably right and I'm probably wrong, <laughs> but I, I uh, Jesus goes to a place called the Decapolis. And what that is, is it's ten cities, ten Greek cities, uh, or Gentile cities, I should say, not necessarily Greek. Um, and, th- and what Gentile means is someone who is not uh, Jewish. That's all that means. So could be that they were uh, uh, Middle Eastern people. Could be that there was some Greeks there also. I mean, who knows? Just a hodgepodge of people. Um, maybe even people who have some uh, ties to Judaism or, or um, Jewish thought and Jewish life and to some extent. But anyways, he goes to these uh, this area um, because there is a notorious place um, where there, there's a it's close to, I believe, a cemetery. And there's a man who's been bound numerous times and breaks free and harasses the people as they pass by. So, like, basically, kind of like he, I won't say he mugs them, but probably uh, just uh, whoops up on them, you know, uh, attacks them, scares them. Um, And um, so what does Jesus do? He goes and he confronts this guy. Um, And so i think it's like he literally gets out of the boat walks a little bit and then this demon possessed man basically kind of runs forward and says you know like what are you doing here are you here to torment us and jesus you know asked the question who are you um and the uh the man who's possessed by demons says we are legion for we are many and that is something, I mean, uh, if you watched, uh, what's the name of that movie? There's been numerous movies that's re- referred, that use that quote. Back to the Future. Is it really? No. Okay. I just threw something. <laughs> I know Ghost Rider does. Ghost oh, Rider, yeah. that was the first Ghost one. Rider, the... Probably over half the exorcism horror movies, to be honest. Yeah. Well, actually, it was actually referenced in uh, even video games and sci-fi. If anybody's played the Mass Effect series. Okay, okay. One Ooh. of the one of the AI robotic guys who's part of like this hive robotic mind um they don't have names but he gets aboard the ship of like your main character and they're saying you know what's your name we have to call you something 
and because he's like jacked into all the internet and history and all that he actually finds that quote in scripture and he says well that's fitting because all of us beings are kind of hived together so they actually name him legion because he quotes that scripture Mm. well he says because all of us inhabit this body Mm -hmm. this ai body that's here (laughs) so i mean that was just wild yeah yeah it's crazy because I mean like that that reference we are legion for we are many that's that's it's out there I mean it's it's like I mean like Brian said Robert said I mean it's numerous instances throughout uh, culture but obviously for different reasons um, and Jesus um, well first let me back up a little bit so they're like they they come they come running to Jesus this demon possessed man with the, the demons the legion demons within them come and they're basically pleading with Jesus like um this isn't the end this isn't the end you're you're not you're not here to torment us prematurely um and then they ask the question send us to the pigs will you please send us to the pigs because it's not our time uh again going back to the fact that this is a gentile area pigs um, for the Jewish culture were ceremonial, ceremoniously unclean. And so, again, this is just a reference to the fact that this was a very Gentile place. They had pigs. And so, um, yeah. And so he, uh, he casts out the demons and he sends them into the pigs. And it's crazy because then after the pigs get the... Uh, the demons within them, they actually run off a cliff and into the sea. Um, and there's a lot of Jewish folklore about um, angels and fallen angels and uh, and water, particularly like being able to imprison them. Uh, again, that's Jewish folklore. That's not necessarily scriptural. We don't see that directly in scripture, but a lot of times people talk about the book of Revelation, how certain... Uh, places dry up and then all of a sudden you see like angelic activity bad angelic activity taking place so some people speculate um again because of that that perhaps these the water is what keeps the uh bad angels at bay uh again take that for however you want but anyways uh so the whole entire population that's there basically the people who are taking care of the pigs see this happen and freak out and tell Jesus to get out to leave. Um, and one really cool thing is they because it, it scares them because they see the demon possessed guy in his right mind. He's now he's no longer you know out to hurt people. He's he's now calm. He's now collected because in before that it says that he would be uh, restrained by chains. And, but he was so strong, he had a supernatural strength that he was able to break free of the chains, like literally like straight up Hulk style, like just have enough strength to pop out no matter what, no matter how many times they restrained him. And so now, um, if you can imagine, this guy, is pro- if he was out in the middle of kind of like a, a graveyard, gra- graveyard area, so probably not in the right, you know, previously not in the right mind, and uh, probably talk to himself a lot. I mean, if you have a legion of uh, uh, demons in your in you, in your head, <laughs> in your body, you're probably going to talk to yourself, I'd imagine. So they they see this guy who's been crazy for years, now suddenly calm, cool, collected in his right mind, and the people freak out. And the guy who has been relieved of these spirits wants to go with Jesus. He's like, I want to be with you, but Jesus says no. Stay here and preach my message to uh, these people, um, which I find fascinating um, because even though the people at that time rejected Jesus, said, get up, leave. You basically destroyed our livelihood with, with getting by um, having the pigs fall into the sea. But still, he had compassion on them and said, testify to these people, uh, uh person whoever you are he's not named other than named of the gadarean demoniac um 
that's the only name it's referred to, but he's he's basically allowed to stay in that community to preach the truth to those uh, people who would hopefully one day believe. And, I mean, in my head, I mean, there's there's so much to unpack there in that. I mean, obviously, the demons knowing who Jesus was and begging them, begging him not to torment them is proof that although these creatures, these supernatural beings, were far more powerful than humanity, us humans, uh, they didn't, they paled in comparison to who Jesus was. They immediately went and bowed before them and say, it's not your time. This is not the time. We, we, <laughs> please don't, please don't uh, send us <laughs> prematurely to where we were supposed to be going. <laughs> Instead, cast us into the pigs. I mean, I mean, again, you see him have that power, that supernatural power over these demons, not just one demon, but many. And, um, and of course, you know, obviously, we don't know the scale of uh, the strength of what demons or the nature of demons. Some people claim that demons are angels that are fallen. Some people claim that demons are something different than angels. They're an offspring, something, another. They don't know. Uh, there's just a speculation there of exactly where do demons come from. Uh, but if the idea is that there are that demons are fallen angels, which I don't know, maybe that's the case. I don't know. I'm not sure. But one uh, angel, one single angel, uh, killed all the firstborn in Egypt. Uh, whenever the Pharaoh inadvert inadvertently um, uh, called the plague down on himself and, and and the people of Egypt, so one angel, one angel did that. So if these demons are in fact angels, which I don't know again, but they were a legion. Of them, that's that's at least that is at least five thousand at the minimum. A legion was at least five thousand soldiers. So, if this guy had five thousand angels, one angel was able to basically strike down every kid in Egypt, every firstborn, and Jesus just rebukes five thousand of them. (laughs) I mean, that's. Significant. That's huge. Absolutely huge, in power. I mean, mm. five thousand. I mean that. That to me. I mean, again, that assumes that angels are de- like fallen angels or demons. We don't know. We speculate. There might be other theories out there that might be more accurate. But still, you get the idea. These are some powerful beings, more powerful than humans. But I mean, and and you definitely touched on it, but it's worth like reiterating of it's crazy that these demons, they almost in in a way they exercise more faith than the people mm-hmm. because Ooh. they don't question. They saw and they know immediately who Jesus is. Right. Yeah. Well, like they weren't saying, who are you? They were like, what are you doing here? Yeah. This yeah. isn't and, the hour. <laughs> yeah. And, and they, they did not question his authority. They mm. did not question his power. They knew their role. Yeah. yeah. Like, as soon as they saw him, they immediately know, hey, this this guy's infinitely above us in every way. Yeah. We have zero power uh-huh. in this situation. Oh, yeah. And the fact that other people can either not believe in him or just blatantly disregard him mm-hmm. or whatever... And it's just it's just crazy to, yeah. to think about. It is. I mean, I remember one story of a young boy who was demon possessed, and they, they, I, I don't, I shouldn't laugh at a time like this, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it's one of those like chuckle, chuckle, check out this. But uh, they drag him to Jesus through the crowd, and the boy takes one look, at, and the demon takes one look at Jesus, and just throws that boy into a seizure. That mm-hmm. that demon just panics. Just yeah. I'm out of here. Oh like, yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. I mean, and, and that that just that dis, the display of power, that display of just certainty of like this cre- like these demons immediately recognize them, like you said, mm-hmm. and and that I mean is a game changer. I mean that's that's one thing. What was it? I think it's in James that talks about like how you know talks about how even the fallen angels they know who God is, they have the proper theology, and they tremble. 
in fear. And here is an example mm-hmm. of them trembling in fear, running before Jesus, saying, This is not the hour that you're here to torment us. You're not here to torment us prematurely. This is not the time. <laughs> it's like so you they gave knew, us. They you, know what's up. Yeah, they, they know they what's up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they know what's up. They know what's coming for yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and which, I mean, that's terrifying to think that, you know, you know, like. Us as humans, we have the freedom to rebel and the freedom not to. We have the freedom to, you know, believe. And and these creatures, but I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is we choose to believe or not believe, and it's an act of faith, but these these beings, these angels, knew exactly who God was, knows exactly the power that he can and does display in the time of his choosing. And they have no doubt that he will do what he says he's going to do. And yet they trembled in fear in a, in a way that humanity would tremble in fear of an angel. Like if you saw an angel and like come out in, in broad daylight, I mean, the, uh, imagine the fear and the terror that would invoke. And here was 5,000 of them like literally shaking and bowing in fear before Jesus. So, I mean, I, I think that just, Again, emphasizes the fact that um, that uh, that these these beings, these supernatural uh, demons, were just terrified of God and terrified of what He had the right to do to them because of their rebellion. And that also speaks to I think we mentioned this a few podcasts ago, where we were talking about this whole spiritual world that we just can't comprehend yeah. and don't see mm-hmm. and the fact that these demons who can perceive that spiritual world mm-hmm. like what part of jesus like when he was walking on earth mm-hmm. but he also like there was his corporeal form on earth but mm-hmm. obviously he, he extended into the spiritual world even while he was corporeal yeah yeah and just like what that perception would be like to even yeah. get a glimpse into that yeah just that like thing. a huge blinding light yeah, that in this darkness yeah and they're like oh what's new <laughs> like, that's, not, that's not good don't, that's, that's 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 not good what's going on he's not here yet this isn't your hour right no this is right you haven't changed your mind this isn't your hour okay 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 <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so i mean just that and then i mean the 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 fact that he get, like and that's the thing whenever all the people told him to leave it's like all right i'm gone that's what you want <laughs> and that was again like what we said you know god does not impose his will yep like he will respect our wishes and mm-hmm. if we want to put distance he will yep yep, yep. And I mean, and that's the thing, like with the, the he even, but see, the, even in that, even the fact that he allows us to give give us that distance, he still left the guy who was possessed mm-hmm. to give them a chance for repentance, like because he's like, hey, this guy is going to be a visible representation of my power, and he's going to be among you because you you saw him when he was demon possessed and crazy, and now. He's in his right mind, and he's in his right mind because of Jesus. Oh, yeah. And so that's my miracle, which is phenomenal and amazing because that's who Jesus is, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. A little bit lighter (laughs) note, but I do want to know your position on this. What's more terrifying, a man with 5,000 demons in him or a stampede of 5,000 demon-possessed pigs uh, coming at you with, like, the glowing red eyes. and Oh, uh, that's a good, good <laughs> question. I, I'm, I guess whichever one could cause the most physical damage. And I know if you, uh, you cannot escape the oncoming ocean of pigs, I'm sure that would cause plenty of damage. <laughs> Uh, the Just man demonic squeals, <laughs> sure, <laughs> blood curdling squeals. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you think, I mean, like, granted, obviously we don't know what level of consciousness animals have, yeah. but I mean. Just to have something like that thrust into their minds. Mm. Oh yeah. Even if they don't have the same consciousness as humans, I'm, I mean, I bet you it wasn't. I don't want to mess with that. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. And yeah, I guess it would depend on if the human. It, it was more long term. The human would be more terrifying because 
Uh, he or she is more sentient. Yeah. Uh, can cause a lot more damage on on the long term because the pigs, you know, one fell swoop and what they're gonna do, they're gonna do. Mm-hmm. But uh, that man, he was demon possessed for years, mm-hmm. and you know, the whole town was terrified of that guy because of just stuff he'd been doing. Yeah. Slowly. Yeah, and who knows what sort of uh, he might have even you know at one time been some sort of sorcerer or something maybe dabbled in some occult practice I mean we don't know we're kind of filling in the gap there but I mean it might be that he was in his right mind at one time and then got involved with some bad stuff (laughs) some bad juju (laughs) I guess you could say and uh, was possessed by 5,000 demons hey that's not bueno (laughs) so uh, for me I guess like if I was able to get away from the swine and like as they fall into the pit or fall into the ocean or the sea, I think I'd be more afraid of the uh the guy. Yeah. Because I mean presumably, I mean, if he's got strength enough to probably break his chains, he's probably got strength enough to chase you down. So yeah. <laughs> we've seen the exorcist. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've whether or not that's the accurate representation of somebody possessed, I don't know, but I definitely don't want to see something like that coming my way. No. No. Yes. And that's it. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, who wants to you want to land the plane, Robert? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Uh just to close in on this. Do it, Robert. You're such a good closer. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, just to close in on this, land the plane, talking about the miracles of Jesus. The two that we shared tonight on this episode, the two, the one thing that really puts both of these stories together is the theme of deliverance. The world's in desperate need of it of some kind. Uh, we're definitely in need of uh, spiritual deliverance. Uh, as uh, Zach shared his story of the demoniac, um, we're ultimately in need of deliverance from death. Um, as Lazarus faced what every last one of us is going to face one of these days. Uh, the world is broken, but God, Jesus Christ, is the one great deliverer. And so it's through Jesus that, you know, this deliverance that the whole world cries out for, regardless of what your specific uh, terror might look like, whether it's uh, lack of uh, knowledge about the fate of the world and it confuses you whether you feel like your life does not matter your mistake uh, whether you feel like you've put yourself in a trap either of your own making or someone else's sinister making and you just don't know if there's ever any way out whatever your brand of terror is Jesus is the great deliverer from that he came he died on a cross to set us free from the sin that is the great cause that underlies all these symptoms but uh, the miracles simply point to the reality of what Jesus came to do on the cross. And so that that's the great comfort for all of us to come through. You're, you're good. Preach it, brother. Preach. I'm, just, I'm emphasizing that you're awesome closer. Thank you. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> the end. <laughs> no more. <laughs> all right well thank you guys um really appreciate it this was uh, another great episode uh always love learning more about jesus his miracles um Amen. and hopefully those out there listening maybe you've gained a uh, slightly more appreciation for just kind of how powerful these acts were at the time and just imagining that happening now mm-hmm. you know in, in in today's world but um, yeah, definitely, like I said at the beginning, if you want to interact with us, we'd love for you to drop some message. Visit us uh, on our Facebook page, the Achieving Christian Thought Podcast uh, Facebook page, and then our website, theactpod.com. And uh, yeah, we'll be uh, back at you next time with another episode. So thank you all. So long. Yeah. See ya.